0: Brothers and sisters, we are now at week 10 in the book of Acts. I can't believe how quick it feels like it's going, uh, but I want to call to your mind how this, st- uh, this series in this book started with the ascension of Jesus, when Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father. And he goes to heaven, but that doesn't mean that he's now somehow absent from the scene. And we talked about how this is kind of like Jesus went behind the curtain of the world. You know, the, the world is the stage, but Jesus is behind the curtain, and he's very active behind that curtain. We can't see him, see him, but he is doing many, many things. And I said, maybe the proper title for the, books, the book of Acts would be this. The acts of Jesus continued through the Spirit-empowered church. The acts of Jesus are continuing through the Spirit-empowered church. Jesus said in uh, the book of John, he said, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am work- working. Now, we've certainly seen Jesus working throughout the book of Acts pouring his spirit out on the church, enabling the the apostles to boldly preach in front of the authorities, granting believers unity and sacrificial generosity, giving them boldness to spread the good news. And last week we saw how Jesus met the greatest persecutor of the church. He met him on the Damascus road and called him to himself and to salvation. And friends, this same God, this same Jesus, the same spirit is alive and at work today. Amen? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know that. We're still in this story and God is still working. He is still speaking. He is still doing miracles. He is still drawing people to himself. And he is inviting us to participate in all that he's doing. Isn't that amazing? He's inviting us to participate in his work. In fact, Jesus said something that's astounding in John 14. He said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. He's ascended to heaven. And now the people who believe in me are going to do the same works that that I've been doing and even greater things than these. We're living in that period right now. Jesus is still working. And in Acts chapter 10, we see this beautiful interplay between God's work and our work, between what Jesus is doing and what we're called to do. And I'd like to highlight a few of those themes. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. I'll be referring to it throughout this sermon. But I, was, I want to highlight a few themes for us on this idea of God's work and our work. And the first is this. God seeks us and we respond. God seeks us and we respond. The story in Acts 10 begins with Cornelius. He was a centurion. That means he led a, a hundred soldiers in the Roman army. And remember that this is the superpower that had overtaken the world. These were the enemies of the Jewish people. They overtook their land. And so this would raise a few eyebrows uh, when when the Jewish people read the story. But Cornelius, he he was devout, he was generous, he gave to the poor, he prayed. And Cornelius is presented as a man who is seeking after God. And he has a vision where an angel comes to him and tells him to send for the apostle Peter. And this is so eventually Peter can come and share the good news of Jesus Christ with him. Um, now, as a Roman, Cornelius, he would have been taught uh, about all the different Roman gods and how to, how to please the gods and practice life and literal paganism, uh, to how to worship all these different gods. And like many people of that day, uh, they were disappointed with the morality of what was going on and, uh, and the confusion of the many gods. And so many were attracted to the clarity of Jewish monotheism and the morality of Jewish monotheism. So Cornelius was one of mo- among many who were called God-fears, these people who were on the path, perhaps, of converting from paganism to being a follower of Yahweh. And this is who Cornelius was. He was seeking out who the true God really was. But friends, even this seeking that Cornelius and others are doing, we need to understand this as this is something that is also set up by God himself. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in a sermon in Acts 17, says, God from one man made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth." And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. In other words, God designed this world. God designed all of the nations so that his, cre- his created beings, the ones he loved, might reach out for him and find him and seek him. And there's something inside of us that wants to reconnect with our creator. So even when we see people like Cornelius, we need to remember that that God is the one who sought us first. He's seeking God, but God was already seeking him. And so God seeks us, we respond, and so then we seek him out too. And that fact it says in Hebrews: God rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards people who diligently search out who he is. And so watch what happens. Cornelius is is praying, he's giving. He's fearing God. He's seeking God. And the angel says, your prayers and gifts for the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. So Cornelius was seeking after God. What does God do? God reveals more of himself to Cornelius. So the reward for seeking God is actually more of God, more knowledge of God, more revelation of God. And friends, God is still seeking people all over the world. You know, sometimes uh, the Christians or theologians like to ask, well, you know, what happens with, with people who have never heard of the name of Jesus? Now, Christians are free to uh, debate this. And I just want to remind us, by the way, we're, we're a covenant church. We can disagree about all kinds of things. That's actually a good thing. And so people can debate this question of what happens. But I I'd like to give my thoughts because I do think scripture and church history pointed to being the case that if there are people who are seeking after the true God earnestly, it seems to be the case that God rewards that by somehow revealing himself to them. And there are, there are tons of missionary stories about this, of, of people who have never heard of Jesus, and somehow God uh, reveals himself to them in a dream or a vision, or like we see even in the book of Acts. Uh, but there's one, uh, one story of many amazing stories involves uh, a missionary named Adoniram Judson, he was the first uh, official sent missionary uh, out of the United States uh, in the early 1800s, and he went to Burma. And one of his first converts came from the Karen people. Yes, that's the same people group of our brothers and sisters downstairs who worship about one o'clock this afternoon. And uh, one of Justin's first converts was a Karen uh, man named Bu. And Kotabu was was known as, was known as a thief and a murderer. Like this, this was a, like a terrible guy, you know, like as, along the lines of the Apostle Paul. Like this is someone that people were afraid of. But he becomes a Christian. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And he goes into the jungles of Burma to preach Jesus Christ to people who had never heard of Jesus. But what they found was something amazing, that the Karen people had what they called the tradition of the elders. In this tradition, they believed in a powerful creator God who made a man and woman from a woman from the man's rib. They believed humanity had been tempted by the devil and had fallen, and had fallen away from the creator God. Uh, and they believed that one day a Messiah would come and make everything right. And on top of this, they believed that somehow a white foreigners would come with a sacred parchment that would tell them the identity of who this Messiah was. And Judson had been studying for like 12 years on how to uh, learn Burmese, learn the language, and translate the Bible. He finally gets the Bible ready, and when he comes and presents the Bible to these people, they believe that this is the good news that they have been waiting for for centuries. Amen. Isn't that amazing? God had been preparing. God had been seeking it out. Yeah, Judson came to share the gospel, but God had already gone before. And after, after uh, you know, uh, 12 years, Over a thousand Karen people accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and were baptized. Um, And now we actually worship with them and we know them as our brothers and sisters because because of that, uh, uh, of Judson going over there. And there are many, many other stories like this. I'm sure you can ask Marilyn Smith and the Smith family of stories of how God prepared people for the gospel. So God is seeking people. People respond and God honors that response by revealing himself to them. Cornelius sought after God. A vision comes to him, so he sends men to go to the apostle Peter. Now, God also had to prepare Peter for this meeting. And he was going to do that through the context of prayer. So this is the second theme I want to highlight is we pray, God responds. We pray, and God responds. Now, it says in verse 9, At about noon the following day, as they were on their journey in approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hung- hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared he fell into a trance, and then he sees this vision that Wendy told us about. This happened 3 times. It says in verse 16 Immedi- immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Now, just like I said the early church was, Peter was a man devoted to prayer. He was devoted to spending time in prayer with God. And during his prayer time this vision comes to him about these clean and unclean foods and God is telling him to eat these uh, unclean foods. Um, now, God is showing Peter that the purity laws that had separated Jews and Gentiles, that these are no longer necessary because of Jesus Christ. Now, well, we're not very familiar with these categories, but we need to understand that being ritually pure was not a category of sin for the Jewish people. It was about being able to enter into the direct presence of God in the temple. You had to be ritually clean in order to enter the temple. And so Jews all the time were almost always ritually unclean because of various things that happened, bodily emissions and all kinds of stuff. They were in a state of uncleanness all the time. And it wasn't an issue unless they needed to go into the direct presence of God in the temple. Then they had to wash themselves and become clean. And so Now in the new covenant, Jesus has come. He's died on the cross and his blood shed has made us all clean. Our sins are forgiven and therefore the direct presence of God, the Holy Spirit, can now be poured into our hearts where we now are the temple of God. So that's amazing. We can pause there and ponder that for a while. But can you see how now The, all the laws and regulations about being ritually clean, they are null and void because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. We are made clean because of his bloodshed and his spirit already dwells inside of believers. So God had to teach Peter that Gentiles, they were no longer unclean for not following these kosher food laws. They could have direct access to the Holy Spirit. And I want us to note that God revealed this to Peter in the context of prayer. If you wanna know more about God, if you wanna hear from God, we need to be people of prayer. It happens in the context of prayer. We need to make time for prayer. And when we pray, God responds in some way. He responds. And all throughout Luke and Acts, Luke is painting this picture of a God who responds to the prayers of his people. Cornelius is praying and then God hears his prayers and reveals himself to him. Peter is praying and he receives a vision. But I want to go further back to the Gospel of Luke. Remember the first volume. It says that Jesus' baptism, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him. At the transfiguration of Jesus, it says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is praying, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And it says an angel from heaven appeared. And strengthened him. In Acts chapter 4. After receiving threats from the authorities. The church gets together and prays. And they pray for boldness to share the gospel. And then Luke writes. After they prayed. The place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. In Acts chapter eight, the Samaritans they received the gift of the, uh, of the Spirit in response to the prayers of the apostles. And in Acts chapter nine, Paul is praying while he is waiting for Ananias to come and, and tell him uh, what he is to do next. Can you see, from beginning to end, God is responding to prayer. Are you con- are you convinced yet? I hope you're convinced. Now, we all have experienced the mystery of prayer. It's it's a mystery to me why sometimes we see such clear answers to prayer, that this is undeniable that God has brought a miracle of healing and vision and direction. And then there's times where we just, it seems like God's not responding to my prayers at all. And I have no solution to you other than we are called to pray, God responds to prayer, and we we trust him with what happens. We trust him with the results. Uh, But we... I want to say that our prayers do matter to God. Even if we can't see what happens in response, they do matter to God, and he takes our prayers into account of all that he does. It's amazing. God does respond to prayer. And certain things only happen when we pray. And if we don't pray, we're potentially missing out on God's response, God's voice, God's power, God's strength. For all of these things, they come through prayer. Who knows how much we miss out on because we fail to pray? We'll only know when we get to eternity, maybe. But God invites the church to do the work of prayer, and he, then he wants us to trust him with the results of what happened. And that's true of all that we do for the Lord, right? Of all the work that we do in the church, of all that we do for God, we, we, we do it faithfully, and we trust God with what happens. We trust him with the results. We trust him with how he uses our gifts. We trust him with all these things. So we pray. God responds. We trust him with the rest. So God speaks to Peter during prayer. He's preparing him to share the gospel to the Gentiles. And this brings me to my third theme, which is God sends and we go. God sends and we go. So three men from Cornelius, they arrive at at Peter's house to tell him that Cornelius has sent for him because of this angelic vision. And God is sending Peter to the household. And because of how God has been working, Peter is ready. He's prepared. He's willing to go. And it says in verse 27, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to him, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or, with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So Peter realizes that through Jesus Christ, he has torn down every dividing wall of hostility between all different kinds of people in humanity. You know, in Jews, they did not want to associate with the Gentiles for fear that they might become unclean or or, uh, they might have to eat these non-kosher foods if if they had table fellowship. Um, And that's a really important point because not only has Jesus brought these two groups together, He has now made table fellowship possible once again. That now that these non-kosher foods, they are clean, Jews and Gentiles can come to the same table together as family. And knowing how important this was in that culture of eating together, a sign that you are family, that you are welcome, that this is a sign of welcome and hospitality. This was crucial to bringing the church together as one body, as one family. So this opened up the doors for these Jewish disciples to go spread the gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations. And so God did the work of sending Jesus. He did the work of preparing people to hear the good news. God does the work of raising up workers for the harvest. But people must do the work of going. We have to do the work of going. Cornelius was so devout. He was the best of people. He was known as a generous God-fearer who prayed And yet the angel did not say to him, Cornelius, just keep on going. If you just keep doing what you're doing, you will be saved. No, he tells Cornelius, send for the apostle Peter because there is yet something you need to know. As good as Cornelius was, he still needed the gospel. The best of us are still immense sinners in the sight of God. And we need his grace and we need salvation and God has made a way. The Apostle uh, Paul wrote in Romans 10, he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one in whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. If disciples are going to be made of all nations, which Jesus commanded and commissioned the church to do, If people are going to be saved, then they have to believe and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is is Paul's logic here. This This is what God did to save humanity. He died upon the cross and rose again. And now he is Lord of all. This is his plan, period. This is how he plans to do it. And if that's true, then people need to call on his name. And if they are going to call on his name, then they need to hear about him. And if they are going to hear about him, someone has to tell them. That's about as basic theology as you can get right there. Someone has to go. You know, one of, one of the values of this church is we want every nation hearing the gospel. And I think it's, it's wonderful that we have some missionaries we support, you know, Almas and Marina in Kazakhstan, uh, and we have uh, Jared and Hannah Baker in the Middle East. They are taking the gospel to, to places that it's not welcome, that, that people are not reached with the gospel of Jesus. And I just want to uh, plant a seed that, that some of you here, some of you teenagers, some of you young college students, the Lord might be raising you up to be a missionary in a foreign place. He might be raising you up to go take the gospel to, to a people group that have yet not heard the name of Jesus. Or maybe he's calling you to be interested and get involved or support someone who is. And, and that's a wonderful thing. And I think our church should always be a place where the, the vision of the worldwide mission field of God is always before us. Yet, I also want to remind us that we tend in the surrounding area that this is a mission field, too. We're in a mission field right now, and there are unsaved people all around us who do not believe and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and, their Lord and Savior, and they need to be told. Someone needs to go, someone needs to share. And just like we sang in our song, God's doing the work. God's preparing the people. God's laying the table of the finest bread. God is doing all these things, and he's asking, who shall I send? Who shall I send to them? We sang it, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Use me. You're doing the work, but use me to do the sharing. So let's not be a bottleneck for the Great Commission. Let's be a conduit of it. And that's what Peter does. He's sent to Cornelius and he goes. And the next thing he does is he simply shares about Jesus Christ. And this is the fourth theme I want to lay out is that we share the gospel and God works powerfully. We share the gospel, God works powerfully. And I want you to, you can just study what Peter does here. He just basically shares about Jesus's life, his death, his resurrection, and how he's coming again to judge the world and how people can receive forgiveness in his name. And he concludes his sermon in verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now we have seen in the book of Acts how simply the name of Jesus has power. The name of Jesus has power to to heal, to drive out demons. And in the same way, the gospel of Jesus has power. The message of Jesus has power because God works through it. And all of us can do what Peter did. I, most of you here are, have been longtime disciples of Jesus Christ. You can do what Peter did. He simply just talks about Jesus. And if you're not sure you can do it, just practice a little bit. But he just talks about how Jesus, he was anointed by God. He was sent by God. In other words, he went about doing good, teaching people. And then he died upon the cross. He rose again. Now he is the Lord of the world. One day he's coming again to to judge the world, to make everything right, and you can receive forgiveness of sins through his name and eternal life. Would you like to do that? Can't all of you do that? It's just talking about the basics of who Jesus is. And if you can't do that, we need to practice. But I believe you can, and the Holy Spirit will empower you when we do this. So if we get the opportunity to share about Jesus with somebody, I implore you to take it. Because simply sharing has power. You know, the apostle Paul wrote in Romans ten seventeen: faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard uh, through the word about Christ. Faith in Jesus is sparked by people hearing about Jesus. And that's why Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God's salvation unto all who believe. There's a power that God works when we simply share about Jesus. Our job is to share, to speak, to tell, And then God works. God works powerfully through the seed that's planted. And in this instance, God works right away. The harvest is ready. Peter shares the gospel. They respond and the Holy Spirit comes right then, right as he's sharing the gospel about about Jesus. And it says, "The, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter, they were astonished that the gift of the Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So friends, so far, We had Pentecost in Acts chapter two, which was with Jewish people that came from all the different kinds of nations, but they were all Jews or converts to Judaism. In Acts chapter eight, where we we talked about, we had the Samaritan Pentecost. It was poured out in the Samaritans. Now in Acts chapter 10, this is what can be called the Gentile Pentecost, the spirit being poured out on Gentiles. And as Kurt mentioned in the scripture reading, that this is the, the theme of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We see that Jesus is moving, And spreading the gospel. And so these Gentiles accept the gospel. That means God has accepted them. He's made them clean through Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my final theme that I want to point out is God saves and we baptize. God saves, we baptize. Now that the Gentiles have accepted Jesus Christ, the church's job is to welcome them into the family of God. And at first, this completely shocked the Jewish disciples of Jesus, uh, but again and again in the book of Acts over and over, we can't get away from it. God is driving the point home that there is, there is no distinction. God is no respecter of persons. God plays no favorites. There is no room for any kind of discrimination uh, in the church of Jesus Christ. He is drawing all people, all the nations to himself, and he communicates this point over and over and over again. And so now that the Gentiles have accepted Jesus and the Holy Spirit has been poured out, The church has a job. The job is to baptize them, to welcome them into the family of God through a public rite of initiation where the individual proclaims their allegiance and loyalty to Jesus as Lord and the church welcomes them as family. Verse 47, Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Brothers and sisters, baptism is an extremely important act for the church, for the individual, for the community. And the individual or the parents on behalf of the child, they are committing to discipleship in the way of Jesus, and the community is welcoming them into the family of God where they will be discipled and nurtured. And we actually have a baptism coming up uh, on August 22nd at Blackwell Forest Preserve. Uh, we have so far, we have four people being baptized. We have uh, Dacey and Tirsa Smith, uh, Eleanor Jarris and Luke Broman will be baptized on that day. Uh, we're very excited. If there are others who would like to join, I invite you to come with us. And I encourage you to mark your calendars now. And even if you're watching this online later, mark your calendars now for that day because this is something for the whole church. Um, you know, and I don't know if this applies to anybody, but it would not be right if we attended worship that day and then did not go attend the baptism. That would not be right for us to do, because this is an act of the whole church. This is part of the worship and sacrament of the church. And so I just want you to pretend, not per- but just in your mind, that this is like your best friend getting married. This is like your best friend getting married. You know, this is something that you should show up to. And even though we're going to be going to a different location, you know, and I, just, I bring this up because I feel like we've maybe had this issue a little bit in the past, but we need to be there to welcome these, these children, these teens, and everyone else who is making this decision. We need to be there for them. We need to show up for them. So this, this is just a pastoral point. I implore us to all come. If you can make it, you should come. So I, I'm, I'm putting that out there for you. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you've never been baptized, I also encourage you to be obedient to the scriptures and to be baptized. That's something Jesus calls us to do. Um, and some of you, um, you know, you're baptized an infant. That's, that counts. That's good. Uh, but there's are there are folks who say, you know, I was baptized as a baby, but I'd like to do something. I'd like to do something public. Well, the covenant does what's called a reaffirmation of baptism. Uh, you're not getting rebaptized. We believe in one baptism, uh, but you can... Uh, reaffirm your baptism. You can, and you can touch a little bit of the water, we can do a little liturgy, and it's it can be a public way of doing something for yourself. Maybe you weren't confirmed, you never had that experience, um, and you'd like to do something, we can do that for you as well. We'd like to do that. So, in summary, friends, God is still working. God is still working, even right now. God seeks us, we respond. We pray, God responds. God is sending, we go. We share the gospel. God works powerfully, and God saves, and we baptize. So I simply want to say to you today that what you do really, really matters. It really matters. Your life makes a difference in the kingdom of God. How you pray, how you serve, how you give, how you share, how you go, what you do. This is the acts of Jesus continued through the spirit-empowered church. This is through you. And in our Bible reading, we recently just read the parable of the talents where you know, the master gives out the different bags of gold. And the expectation is that the servants will go out and invest the resources that they've been given to maximize the return for the master. So that's what we've been called to do. We have our part to play. God does his part. God does work. But we are called to invest our lives for the sake of the kingdom and trust God with the results. Can we do that? All right, let's pray.